Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. We are talking about the book of Acts. We're going back into it, starting in Acts chapter four in the New King James. So if you're following along, which you should be, we're going through the New King James just to help you. It's nice to have the exact um, translation that people are using when doing this, but we're starting in Acts chapter four. Recap on Acts chapter three. The layman at the gate called Beautiful gets healed. The disciples, they leave the upper room. They got the power of God. They got the anointing of God. Peter's preaching with boldness. And now they're deciding we're not just going to leave the power of God in us, but the Holy Spirit wants to come out of you. The Holy Spirit wants to move through your body. He wants to use your hands, use your mouth, use your feet. So we're not going to sit around in church just on Sunday warming a chair, but we're going to let the power of God move through our lives and miracles are going to happen. You're going to see this all through the book Acts, deliverances and miracles, and they heal the lame man at the gate. They're like, why are you freaking out? It wasn't us that did it. It was the power of God. The man that you crucified, guess what? The man that you killed, I hate to tell you, he's alive and alive evermore. And it's by his power that we're doing miracles. That's the guy. The guy that you killed has now empowered us by his spirit. The same spirit, the Bible says, that raised Christ is now alive in us, as quick in our mortal bodies. We have the power of God, the same spirit that wrought Christ from the grave, that revived Christ from the dead, the power that God used to bring Jesus back. I hope you're getting this, however many ways I have to say it, is now living in you. So you're not some dead, weak, drag myself into church, never see miracles, barely getting by, survival mode. I'm in revival mode, baby. I got the power of God. I have the Holy Spirit. So stop wondering, why do you shout that way? I shout because I got the Holy Ghost. I got the passion and the power of God. And the question isn't, why does Isaiah shout? It's why don't you shout? Like imagine all these preachers that are like, why do you shout? It doesn't take all that. Why don't we start asking them instead of asking me why I shout all of you in the comments, ask them why they don't shout. Why aren't they passionate? How could we not be excited about God? How could we not be passionate? How could we yell at the football game about a bunch of guys in tight pants kicking a ball through a field goal and be excited about that? But the King of glory alive in us. Come on, do we have anyone in the chat that's on fire tonight? Alive on the inside of us, make some noise. Get an attitude, get a boldness about you. Let the world be like, what are you so excited about, brother? What are you high on? What is wrong with you? I'm not high. I'm high on the most high. Come on. I got the power of God. I'm not drunk as you suppose. So Peter's preaching. He's preaching the gospel with power, with authority, with boldness. And the religious people get mad. The religious people are going to go to the Roman government, complain. We need these guys arrested. They're making us mad. They're preaching resurrection. We know the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels and demons. And the disciples are casting out devils. Man, it sounds like the American church. They didn't believe in all that. Now the disciples are doing it and they are unstoppable. Absolutely unstoppable. The move of God cannot be quenched. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be broken. It cannot be put out. The fire that's going is going to continue to go through the book of Acts. Come on, share this broadcast. Let's get these numbers up. And all of a sudden, Acts chapter 4, which is where we're starting. If you got your Bible, Acts 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached it 
preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus didn't just raise from the dead, but other people can be raised from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So the Peter's preaching, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all these guys are mad. They lay hands on them. That means they were aggressive. They didn't ask them, hey, do you want to go with us? They grabbed them forcefully and put them in jail till the next day. This is where the official attack against the church starts. In Acts chapter 4, the official attack has been launched against the, against the body of Christ, has been launched against the church, and the religious leaders who tried to terminate Jesus are now arresting the first of his followers, Peter and John, and they're hauled off to jail mid-sermon. Like, they're in the middle of preaching their message, and they get hauled off to jail by the captain of the temple guard acting on the orders from the priests of the Sa Sadducees who controlled the temple affairs. Again, the Sadducees did not believe in the afterlife. They did not believe in life after death. They did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in the existence of the angels or spirits. And now the disciples are preaching there's life after death. Come on, are you guys hearing me in the chat tonight? This is loud enough for you. Life after death. Jesus was resurrected. Angels are real, demons are real, and the religious people are absolutely upset. They're absolutely angry at the fact that these, uh, these religious leaders are absolutely angry that the disciples are not just preaching it, because that's not the issue. The religious people are upset because they're actually demonstrating it. Religious people, I hate to tell you, they don't mind preaching it, they just don't like the demonstration. So religious people will say, oh, I believe that in the gifts of the Spirit, but they don't flow in the gifts of the Spirit. Or they say, I believe in miracles, but they never pray for the sick. They say, I believe in demons being cast out, but they never cast out devils. You can look at any of the major preachers of today, any of the major, most of the major YouTubers of today that preach the gospel, majority of them do not pray for the sick, and I'm not slandering them. They literally say they don't. They do not drive out demons. They do not do most of the things the New Testament book of Acts does, but they will get on record and say, we believe in miracles. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Am I preaching strong tonight? We believe in casting out devils. And my response is you don't believe because if you believe it, you'll walk it out. Religion preaches it. And that's why many of you say, oh, at my church, we preach on it. At my church, my pastor believes in it, but he just doesn't do it. No, he doesn't. Your pastor doesn't believe in it if he doesn't walk in it. How are you going to tell me you believe in casting out devils and half your church is bound and you don't deliver them? How are you going to tell me you believe in healing the sick when you know so many sick people and you've never laid hands on them? So stop with the foolishness of I believe in it. If you believed in it, you'll do it. And that's why James says, if you have faith, but you don't have works, your faith is dead. And what faith could that, who can be saved by that faith? In other words, if there's no action to back up what you're preaching, that faith you're preaching is not genuine and no one can be saved. That's, that's in James. No one can be saved by that faith. So now the fish, two official reasons, the persecution started in the church and the disciples are arrested was number one, they're teaching the people, man, this is, we're coming strong at religion. I have to, I don't have a choice because the religious people persecuting them is the same happening today. And you're going to see it's exactly what's happening today. So number one, they were teaching people when they didn't have the credentials to be teaching. And they were proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus when the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So the number one reason the persecution started in the church was they weren't credentialed. They didn't go through Bible college. They didn't go through cemetery. I mean, seminary. They didn't have the degrees. And so that's what the religious people say is you're not educated. You don't, I, I have a degree, by the way, but I don't flaunt my degree. I never say, oh, I'm coming at you because I have a degree. I could care less. I've never laid my degree on a sick person and they got healed. 
I've never laid my degree on a dead person and they came back to life. I've never laid my Bible, my theology degree that I have on someone that had a demon and the demon came out. Never done it. Doesn't work. It's the power of God. So you don't need to be credentialed to preach the gospel. You don't need to be credentialed to lay hands on the sick. You don't need to be credentialed to cast out devils. That's what religious people say. And they'll persecute you when you're not credentialed. That's garbage, dead religion. And then again, they're proclaiming Jesus um, raised from the dead. So they're put in jail. And this is why they're put on jail because the religious people thought they were protect, protecting orthodoxy. And these guys were breaking orthodoxy. These guys are breaking religion. If you don't know what orthodoxy is, it's routine, it's religion, it's it's a system. It's We've done this for so long and this is the way that we do it. And this is the way we started. And you guys are coming with this new thing and this new move of the Holy Spirit, the generation of the Holy Spirit. I like to call them in the book of Acts. This new wind, this new fire, this new spiritual awakening. And all of a sudden the religious people are like, where does that fit into our dead, dry, stale, Sunday morning, go through the motions church? Now you're coming with the power of God. The dead are being raised. The sick are being healed. Demons are being cast out. You got these spiritual warriors in the book of Acts. And so they're thinking we're actually protecting religion. We're actually doing God's will by protecting orthodoxy, not realizing they were going against God because this was the new wine being poured out. It was no longer God dwelling in a building. It's God dwelling in his people. It's no longer this priestly hierarchy where you have one leader, the priest that's allowed to go before the presence of God. I'm describing some of your churches right here too. You, one guy goes before the presence of God and none of you can be as special as Isaiah. And I have the power you don't. And I have you know access to God like you don't have. That's no longer the, that's the old covenant. That's dead religion. Now it's Every single one of you have the power of God. Every single one of you can lay hands on the sick. Come on, we need to get more people in this broadcast. Every single one of you can preach the gospel with power. You don't have to wait on the high priest and the Sanhedrin. And so they're walking around on their high horse and they're mad because they're thinking they're protect protecting orthodoxy. Acts 4.4. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be 5,000. So here's the however in Acts 4.4, although they're being persecuted, although religion is against them, although religion wants nothing to do with them, although religion is coming against the move of God, however, in spite and despite that, the power and the presence of God, many believe that heard the word and 5,000 heard it and came to be that believed like you're talking about 5,000 people. Why? Because persecution grows the church. It doesn't stop the church. The worst thing the devil could ever do is persecute because it's in persecution that the gospel spread. Why does the church grow in persecution? Why do we grow in persecution? It brings us out of our comfort zone. We can't grow in our comfort zone. Persecution brings us out of our comfort zone. So the disciples were preaching in the temple, but because of persecution, it drove them into meeting in homes. That's why they end up meeting in homes. So they actually did it, uh, the opposite of what they were trying to do. They were trying to stop the fire, but really persecution spreads the fire. So although the persecution started, the church is growing and ended up being now that 5,000 men. Now scholars say, because as I'm studying, obviously I'm reading commentaries, I'm reading historians, I'm reading Bible things to learn about all the stuff that I'm teaching you guys. 5,000 men, but with women and children, over 10,000 people believed. So remember, they didn't count women and children. They're only counting 5,000 men. So it was about 10,000 with women and children, including 
and the church is growing because people still have needs in the midst of persecution. They're preaching sin. They're preaching faith. They're preaching the gospel. Signs and wonders are breaking out. The power of God is making this thing grow. Acts chapter four, verses five through seven. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, as many as were the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? So now they're all coming together. Who's all there? The rulers are there. These are the temple priests, the officials whose goal is to preserve religion, okay? The elders are there. These are community leaders. These are heads of the um, aristocratic families. These are the wealthy people, the elders of the religious world, the community in there in Jerusalem. The scribes are there. These are experts in Jewish law. These are those that are fanatics about religious rules. These are the scribes are like word by word, has to be there word by word. Annas, who's a high priest, um, disposed, uh, deposed by Romans. Jews considered him the rightful high priest, and that's Annas. Caiaphas, who is Annas's son-in-law, he's the official high priest from 8018 to 8036. John, also called Jonathan, who's Annas's son, um, replaced by Caiaphas, the high priest in 8036. So you have a lineage, and then Alexander's there, which we don't know much about Alexander. The point of it is this. You have a lineage of religious people all gathered together, all the rulers, all the doorkeepers of religion are there. And here you have these disciples that are preaching with power and the religious people circle around them and going, Who's, by whose power do you th- do these things? And by whose name are you, are you doing these things? Like, this is what they're saying. We know that you guys can't heal the sick on your own. We know that you guys don't have power on your own to cast out devils. We know that Peter, who is a coward, There's something that happened to you, Peter. The reason why you're preaching like this, there's a reason. So our question to you is, this is what they're really trying to say. How are you guys doing these things? Like, how is it that the lame are walking? We've seen this guy in front of the gate called Beautiful and in front of the temple for years. And you walk up and say, silver and gold have I not, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the guy gets up and walks. Like, what is this that you have? They're perplexed. They, they don't understand it. And then here comes Peter. Now, Peter's just been preaching fire. This guy's preaching over and over. And the book of Acts, preaching, preaching, preaching. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Here's Peter's response. Then Peter. But watch what it says here. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. So you got to know, like, this is not Peter speaking. This is the Holy Ghost speaking. Said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name, and here's where we're coming in, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised for the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is a stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven among men which we must be saved. So Peter lays it right out there, full of the Holy Spirit, says, here's here's the deal. The guy that you killed, let me tell you this one more time, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, he's the guy that healed this man. And this is what Jesus said. He said, when they persecute you, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to speak. Exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. The Holy Spirit gave Peter the words to preach this message. And now Peter and John stand before the very court. Watch this that condemned Jesus 
the very place Jesus was condemned, the same court, knowing the consequences of what they're doing, but because they now have the Holy Spirit, there's a boldness to preach. Right where Jesus was condemned, they're standing there now preaching the gospel, knowing that the same thing they did to Jesus, they can possibly and probably do to us, but the boldness of the Holy Spirit. If they're able, let me ask you this, to preach at the same court Jesus was condemned in front of the people that killed Jesus, why are you afraid to share your faith at work? Why are you afraid to share your, your faith at school? Why are you afraid this holiday season at Christmas to share your faith with your unsaved, broken, hurting, demonized, sick and body family when these men can stand in front of the religious people knowing if I preach, there's a very high chance that these guys are going to kill me, but zero fear. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you this holiday season. We need you to give us boldness so we stop being so afraid of all these other things and religious people and family member and traditions and wasn't raised that way. It doesn't matter. The power of God, the Holy Spirit wants to give you boldness to preach the gospel this December. Come on. Holy Spirit gives us boldness. There's no fear. Now we sit back in our nice houses in my nice studio office thing like, oh yeah, I would do the same thing. Come on, really? Would we really stand before people that we know at any moment could kill us and hang us, crucify us, whip us after seeing what Jesus went through? Many of us would not be able to go through that. Yet Peter, because of the Holy Spirit boldness, we need this tonight. He's able to preach that Jesus is the only way. There's no salvation in any other name. There's no name under heaven which man can be saved. Jesus is the only way. Write that down in your notes. If you don't get anything tonight, Jesus is the only way. It's not Jesus plus, Jesus and. It's Jesus is the only way. It's only Jesus. It's only ever been Jesus. It'll only ever be Jesus. So any Jesus plus this or Jesus and this and Jesus and that. No, it's Jesus only so that you can be saved. There's only one name, Acts 4, 13 through 14. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, so now they're responding and perceived that they were uneducated. One of my favorite verses in the Bible right here, untrained, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, unskilled and uneducated, but they marveled that these men had been with Jesus. Friend, that is the one prerequisite to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can be unskilled. You can be uneducated. As long as you spend time with Jesus, people should recognize that you've been with Jesus. Do people recognize that when they see us? Do they say, I can tell Isaiah has been with Jesus. When, when I speak to people, when I'm at a restaurant, when I'm with my family, when I'm in public, when I'm preaching to you guys, are you able to look and say, I can tell that guy, even though he's unskilled, even though he's uneducated, doesn't have all the formal training the Sanhedrin and all the scribes had, I can tell he's been with Jesus. These are those men. Now, how could they tell? Well, obviously the presence of God radiates off of us, but also they're doing the works that Jesus did. We know Jesus healed the sick. We know Jesus drove out devils. We know Jesus preached the gospel. If we don't do these things, we don't look like Jesus. What makes us look like Jesus and stands out is when we do the works that Jesus did. And then Jesus said in John 14, you'll do even greater works than Jesus did, that Jesus said than I did now that I go to the Father. Acts 4, 15 through 22. But when they commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what do we do with these men? And this is what religion doesn't know to do. I love this. Let me just stop right here. What do we do with these men? Religion doesn't know what to do with us. 
because they can't stop us. So they don't like that we cast out devils. They don't like that we heal the sick. They don't like that we preach the gifts are for today. They don't like that we preach holiness and preach on hell, but they just don't know what to do with us. They're like, well, we can't stop you. We can't shut you down. We can't say you're wrong. Uh, We can't persecute you. So we don't know what to do. And this is what they say, for indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. So they're saying like, look, it's clear to all the people that people are getting healed. They're getting delivered, and we can't deny, man, you could preach 100 messages here tonight. We can't deny what they're doing. We might not like Isaiah. We might not like the preaching, but we can't deny genuine deliverances, miracles, signs, and wonders are happening. It says, but so that it spreads no further among people, they, they say, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no one in this name. So they called them and commanded them, do not speak. This is what they say. Do not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, to listen to you more than God, you judge. So they're basically being smart, Alex, saying, you really think we're going to listen to you over God? Like you ju- you tell me, is it is it better that I listen to God or is it better that I listen to you? And then they said, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Oh, I wish that one sentence was mark my, marking our life. For we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. I can't stop talking about him. I'm sorry to tell you, but... I have to talk about him. I have to preach about him. There's a fire shut up in my bones. And so I can't help it but to speak about the things I've seen and heard. Would you be quiet if you saw demons cast out? Would you be quiet if you saw the sick healed? Would you keep your mouth shut if you saw deaf people hear and blind eyes see and bones have moved in your hand? I can't help it. I look at people that make videos of me. Oh, Isaiah's wrong. He believes in casting out devils and Christians having demons and the sick being healed. I can't help it. What what would you do if you saw? Now, don't get mad at me because you don't see anything. Don't get mad at me because you don't see signs and wonders and miracles. But I can't help. Come on in the chat. Where are you guys at? I can't help but to testify on the things that I've seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, since they all glorified God, what had been done, for the man was over 40 years old whom the miracle of healing had been performed. So the Pharisees are like, look, people are bringing glory to God. They're preaching. We don't like what they're preaching. We don't like them, but we can't stop them because the people are getting healed and delivered and the people are going to get upset. So we have to save face with the people. So let's just let them go. Our hands are tied. If we persecute them, there's going to be an uproar. Acts 4.23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief of priests and elders had said to them. And after spending a night in jail, they went back to their community. They went back to the church that was growing and said, this is exactly what happened. Now imagine telling everyone there, this new starting church, hey guys, here's what we're going to do. If, the, if we preach, they're threatening to kill us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep preaching. We are not going to stop. Come on, can I get a one in the chat? We are not going to stop. We are not going to let some religious Pharisee yo-yos try to tell us what to do. We're not going to let religion. We're not going to let society. We're not going to let the government. We're not going to let culture tell us what we can do. Christ is the ultimate authority, has the highest position in the human universe, in the universe, and we're going to do what he tells us to do. So guess what, everybody? We're just warning you. We're probably going to start getting killed and persecuted, but don't matter. Can't stop us. We're going to keep preaching. Acts 4, 24 through 30. Now, 
the disciples. I hope I'm storytelling this okay, because a lot of this is not like when I taught the book of Revelation. This is a lot of stories. A lot of the book of Acts is just stories that we're reading and I'm trying to explain through. So they get back. Now they're telling the first church, here's how the church responds. Acts 4, 24 through 30. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth, earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered, gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined to be done before, before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is their response. This is their response to being persecuted. They pray, Lord, give us boldness. Give us power so that we can stretch out our hands and signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after debriefing, Peter and John and Jerusalem prayed, laying out their situation before the Lord. First, they find Bible verses in Psalms 2, 1 through 2, telling them that opposition is normal, that there's a hostile world against Christ's anointed. So they go back into Psalms and they go, oh, there's a Bible verse here that says they're gonna be hostile toward us. Second, they confess their confidence. They go, God, we know you're in control. We know you're sovereign. Third, notice what they didn't do in their prayer. They didn't ask for an easier way out. They didn't say, Lord, please make this easier. Please don't let them persecute us. Now, what do we pray when we're being persecuted? Lord, please make them stop making fun of me. Please don't let them persecute me. Please spare me. But their prayer is not, Lord, spare us. Their prayer is, Lord, grant us boldness and let your power move through us so we can do signs and wonders. They prayed for boldness to speak the message and miraculous signs to back up the message that they're preaching. Is it okay to ask God to see signs and wonders? Is it okay to say, Lord, give me the power to stretch out my hands and heal? Absolutely. They prayed in the book of Acts. Come on. They prayed, Lord, give us boldness. By the stretching out of your hand to heal, Lord, give us the miracles. Lord, when we pray for people, stretch your hand out and heal them so that we can confirm the message. So we're not just out here on our own, but we're coming in your authority. So they're actually praying to see signs and wonders and that they may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, so now they're done praying. When they had prayed, the place that they were assembled together was shaken and they were all, circle that in your Bible, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So when they get done praying, there's a shaking, ha a shaking happening, and then they all get filled with the Holy Spirit. They've already gone full of the Holy Spirit, remember, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So their prayer for signs and wonders in Acts 4.30 was answered immediately. They said, Lord, let us see signs and wonders, and then the place shakes. That's a sign and wonder, and then not only was it shaken, but they got filled again by the Holy Spirit. Now, the first believers were filled in Acts 2.4. Now they're filled again. Is it biblical to get filled again with the Holy Spirit more than once? Absolutely, because I'm showing you in the Bible, you can't argue this. They get filled again here. And now because they're full of the Holy Spirit, they're able to speak the word of God with boldness. Their life mission is speaking the word of God preaching the gospel like this is what they're living for is to share the gospel with everyone around acts 4 32 through 37 now the multitude of those who believe were of one heart and one soul neither did anyone that any of these things he possessed was his own 
They had all things in common, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Nor was there any among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Now notice what it says here at the end. And Joseph, who is also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the first Christians took responsibility, not just spiritually for each other, but also physical responsibility. They said, look, if anyone's poor, we're going to help you guys out. We're going to sell the extra land. We're going to sell the extra property. Whatever we have, we're going to sell it and make sure there's nobody in need. Make sure there's nobody in lack. So this is what they do. They go and they sell what they had. And so here's the one line that can sum up the early church. And I quote, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. That's the one line that describes the early church that we don't see anymore. There's nobody lacking. Listen, if you're a part of our church, if you're a part of our fellowship, you're part of, then we're going to make sure you have what you need. That means, listen to me closely and listen, we don't just preach this, we practice this. If I know that in the church, someone around me is a single mom, the finances are low, or there's a family during this Christmas time, they don't have ends meet, they don't have money to make ends meet, they don't have money to buy their kids gifts, whatever it is, they haven't been eating right, their, their bills haven't been getting paid, and their husband's out working and trying and struggling, and I have extra money, I have extra land, I have extra possessions, I have an extra car that's been sitting there, and I just haven't used it. I biblically, I take the land and I either sell it and give them the money or give the pastor the money to give to them, or I just meet the need. We have to stop praying for God to meet the needs that we can meet. So stop asking, Lord, I really just pray that you'd bless that family for Christmas. Lord, I know they don't have anything. When you have thousands stored up in the bank, you have thousands stored up in your account, you have car and house and property, and you're like, Lord, just go help them. And the Lord's like, you go help them. I've given you the Holy Spirit, the power of God. So don't just love in word, the Bible says, love in action. That's what James said. What kind of faith sees a, a person that needs food and doesn't give them food? Like, that's not faith. So we have to stop. I think a lot of our prayers, guys, we are wasting our time praying because we're praying to God to answer things that we could already answer. God says, I made you the answer. That's why he said, pray the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. Pray for yourself. You're the answer. You're the laborer. So pray the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. Lord, send me out. God, use me. So I want my whole community to be challenged by this to be ready for God to use you financially. This is all finances here, okay? And I'm not asking you to give tonight. That's not what this is about. This is about who are who's in need around you that you say, I have no problem helping them, sowing into them, and partnering with them, okay? So the last, I want you to notice the last verse of Acts 4. Joseph, who's also named Barnabas, what does he do? Has land, sells the land. Here's what the Bible says. And he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, for all you that say, we shouldn't give money to apostles. We shouldn't give money to pastors. We shouldn't give to teachers, preachers. We don't, they don't, they shouldn't be getting money that you don't know about the book of Acts because the book of Acts, they literally sold their stuff and laid it. The Bible says laid it at the apostles feet and the apostles were able to distribute the money how they saw fit. Okay. Acts chapter five. Now this book starts with probably one of the most confusing and challenging stories in all of the Bible. And no matter how many people try to explain it, no one truly knows why or what happened in this story. This is one of the most hard to preach, hard to teach, startling, 
Scholars have scratched their head. Bible commentators have all given their hundreds of, if you Google this, you'll have a hundred reasons why this happened. I'm going to give you why I think it happened and a couple lessons to learn from it, but we're going to go into Acts 5. We're going to tackle a really hard story in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 2. So what do we remember? The last verse in Acts 4, we'll go back to later. And now we're in Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 2. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles feet okay now what's interesting in the last two verses on chapter four it says in joseph who was also named barnabas by the apostles a levite of the country of cyprus having land sold it and brought the money so the last end of chapter four all of a sudden he's bringing land that he just sold and giving to the apostles and the Bible says in Acts 2.45 and Acts 4.34 that the others sold land and gave the proceeds to. Now you have a man named Ananias and a woman named Sapphira, who's his wife, who sold land but kept back part of the proceeds and then laid the money at the apostles' feet. The gift that Barnabas, uh, Barnabas gave was unusual. This is the last chapter, Barnabas, um, who gave this money, not only because it was generous, but because he was a Levite. And according to Mosaic law, Levites were not able to own their own property in the promised land. So the land was not just Barnabas giving an act of love or gen generosity. It was also an act of repentance for owning land contrary to the law. Whatever the case might be, his giving of the land was going to set stage for what was about to happen, okay? Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they have land, they sell the land, and they generously give the money voluntarily. They're not required, they're not commanded. They give the money, but here's the problem. The part they gave part of the money, but here's what, what happened. They gave the impression that they were giving everything. So when Ananias came bearing his gift, Peter immediately sent something was wrong, and Peter didn't say thank you. Peter confronted him, and the issue was this. Why are you acting like, oh, this is a sermon for someone tonight. Why are you acting like you gave part of it? You gave everything when you've only gave part of you. Why are you acting like you sold everything? You're this noble Christian that's given everything to God, but you've only given a part and you're lying. That's the problem. The problem is you are lying. Now, some of you are going to read this and go, wow, this is so harsh. Why is a big deal? But how many of us tonight are lying in a similar way? We say, Lord, I've given you everything. I've given you my mind. I've given you my time. I've given you my life, but you've only given God a part of you. How many of you are half in and half out and you're, and who are you fooling? You're not fooling anybody. You say, God, I'm all in for you. God, I want to serve you. God, I've laid everything down for you. And God says, you've only given a part of your life. You've only brought me a part of you. I believe tonight the message God is speaking is it's time to bring him everything. Now stop. If you haven't brought him everything, it's okay. Just don't say you have. Don't lie and say, I'm a Christian. I've laid everything down. I've given all to God. If you haven't given everything, don't lie and say you've given everything. Just be honest and say, I'm not all in. I'm not 100%. And if you're not all in, you're all out. And so the, the, the real sin here is not that they didn't give all the money. Because remember, they weren't required to give. The real sin is they were lying. We're going to see who they're lying to in a minute, saying that they're all in. Lord, help us because we think we could fool everybody, but we can't fool God lying to God, lying to friends, lying to family, saying I'm all in in Acts 5, 3 through 4. Peter, but Peter said, so they go, hey, we've given everything. But Peter said, Ananias. Now I want you to notice what it says here. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Let me say that again for all you religious people sitting in the back tonight. Okay. 
Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You may, you have not lied to men, but to God. Man, so much here. Peter says, this land was yours. Like your life is yours. You can do what you want with it. So why are you lying? Nobody's making you be a Christian. Nobody's holding a gun to your head, making you sell your land, but you're voluntarily acting like you're something that you're not. You're voluntarily acting like you're this super Christian, lying about it. You had control. Why have you done this? So I want you to write down five simple things that this story reveals to us. Number one, write these down. Number one, a common strategy of Satan is to infect the church with dishonesty and hypocrisy. This was the first act of hypocrisy and dishonesty in the church. And this man was a perfect picture of a hypocrite saying one thing, but living another thing. Now, dishonesty is a big deal. We must be truthful with who we are, with what we say we are, what we say we do. We don't get up here and say, I'm this man of God. I'm on fire for God. God does this, God does that. But we're not living it out. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, this is the Apostle Paul, I give each of you this warning. This is Paul. Now, if Paul says, I give you a warning, pay attention here. This is the warning. Are you guys ready in the chat? Type one. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. So Paul is going, we all have this tendency to think that we're better than we really are, that we're these super Christians, that we're all so radical for God. But Paul says, be honest when you evaluate yourself. Be honest. Don't think you're better than you really are. Don't think that you're too radical. Friend, I'll tell you one thing. I appreciate all of you that are, oh, you're a great preacher. You're this and pastors. I have this reputation. Oh man, this guy, when I go travel, they give me this grand introduction. But I'm going to tell you one thing that's very, very real in my life and very, very clear in my life. I do not think I'm better than I really am. And I will, I will guarantee you, every one of you in the chat, I'm just exposing myself here, think I'm better than I really am. One thing I won't do is lie to myself about where I'm really at. That is why in the beginning of this broadcast, I said, Lord, I'm broken. I'm contrite. I need you. Now, am I off in secret sin? Absolutely not. Am I out compromising? Absolutely not. But we all think we're this super spiritual 24 hours a day. I'm praying and floating around and it's not the truth. It's not the case. And so uh, when I evaluate myself, which we all should be doing, if you haven't, you need to. And I evaluate my life. I rightfully evaluate myself. I say, okay, maybe I'm not praying like I should. Maybe I'm not fasting like I should. Maybe I'm not studying like I should. Maybe I'm not living the way I should. And so I'm honest with myself. And so Paul said, I'm warning you, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest when you evaluate yourself. So number one is that Satan infects the church with dishonesty and hypocrisy. Number two, okay, write this down. It is possible for a Christian in the best church around people filled with the Holy Spirit to be filled by Satan. This is where all the religious people that want to debate can't figure out. Ananias and Sapphira, who in Acts chapter 4, remember Acts chapter 4, 31? We just read it. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The house shook where they were at. Now we have like, uh, what, three verses later, four verses later, a couple verses later, now they're filled with Satan? So in the Acts 4, the Greek word filled is the same Greek word in Acts 5, filled with Satan. So all these guys that say a Christian can't have a demon. Let me just give you a little thing, a little uh, something to put in your shepherd's bag. There's not one verse in the Bible that says Christians can't have demons. 
But right here, if you only gave me one verse, it's going to be this. Acts chapter 5. And it asks, why is you let Satan fill you? Now, notice he doesn't say Satan is on you, which is what pastors say. Oh, demons can't fill you. They could just jump on you. He doesn't say Satan is on you. Come on. He doesn't say Satan is speaking to you. He doesn't say you're struggling with Satan. He says Satan has filled you. Now, speaking of Satan, it's not the devil, Satan. It's a spirit. It's a satanic spirit. When you look at Satan, when demons say, I'm Satan, they're talking about the kingdom that they're from, the structure that they're from, Satan being the Lord of that kingdom. So I want you to notice the wording, please. Satan has filled you. Yes. Right here in scripture, a spirit-filled believer is now filled with Satan, according to Peter. Now, why doesn't Peter? Now, because I already know all the religious people that I've been begging to debate me that I delete their emails. I already know what they're all going to say right now. But Isaiah, you preach Christians have demons. Why didn't Peter cast the demon out of him? Well, he didn't have a chance to because watch what's about to happen, okay? I want you to know that there's, again, not one verse that a, a Christian could have. Now, a other thing I want you to think about, this is what preachers say. Well, brother, he's not a, Ananias is not a good guy to use because, you know, he was lukewarm. He wasn't a real believer. And this is my question to you. Name one just name, just one. I'm nice tonight. Name one lukewarm person you know that has ever sold their land and, and gave it to the apostles. Name one. Come on, am I preaching tonight? Name one lukewarm, dead, uncommitted Christian you know that has sold property and brought the money to the church. So get out of here with Ananias was lukewarm. He was way more on fire than you because you don't sell your property. You don't give your money to the poor. You don't sell your stuff and give it to the apostles. So I want you to notice he was spirit-filled and he was not lukewarm. He was giving money. Now, 99% of us in the chat, come on, come on, chat. 99% of us have never sold land, have never sold a house or a car and given it to the apostles or given it to the church. I haven't. I've never sold property and given it to the church. So don't think Ananias was not on fire but yet he was still filled with Satan. So for your mother-in-law, your grandmother, your uncle Tom, your aunt Betsy, that's like, you shouldn't listen to Isaiah Saldivar and your pastor said, oh, he believes Christians can have demons. You go ahead and take your pastor to school, open up your Bible and say, I want to show you something right here, the full of the Holy Spirit. The next verse, Peter says, why has Satan filled you? Not on you, not in, not always just on your forehead, brother. No, Satan has filled you. Why have you allowed it? Okay. So it is possible for a Christian to be filled with Satan after already being full of the Holy Spirit. Number three, say, oh, this is good preaching. Number three, Satan's influence does not take away personal responsibility. Let me say that again. Satan's influence does not take away personal responsibility. Just because you have a demon or the devil influences you, you to do something does not mean you're not accountable. So stop using demons to justify your actions. Can demons tempt you? Yes. Can they dominate you? Yes, but they can't make you. So it's not enough to say, oh, I, I just keep struggling with pornography because a demon made me do it. I'm just yelling at my wife because a demon made me do it. I'm abusive because a demon made you do it. No. Being full of Satan or having a demon doesn't justify your bad actions because they're still going to be responsible for their actions here. They're still going to be held responsible even though Satan caused them to lie to the Holy Spirit. Number four, write this down. And this is going to, I got to be careful here because I have a video coming out on this and it's going to really shake up the religious, um, the religious world here. Number four, and that we learn in this, New Testament giving is in, not an obligation it is a choice. 
We are not obligated or required. Nobody in the New Testament was required to give money. They didn't make them give money. Nobody's saying you have to give or you're not a Christian. The New Testament, there was no obligation. It was a choice. They were not commanded to give. They didn't have to give. They chose to give. So write this down. New Testament giving is generosity giving. It's not like the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they were required to give a tithe. You had to give. You didn't have a choice. Listen, if you don't tithe, this is with the Old Testament. You're robbing God. You have to give. You have to. But in the New Testament, I'm not going to go deep on this because I already know I'm going to get in trouble here. Tithing was not required. Jesus did not make the disciples tithe. The book of Acts, they did not, they were not, there's not one verse where they were required to tithe. I know this is making so many people mad. This was generosity giving. So do you, well, what do you do, Isaiah? Do you give 10% more? We give more. We give over and above our tithe because we're not in the law anymore. We're generosity giving, okay? Now, we don't require anyone to give and people give every week. Why? It's generosity giving. They're generous and they say, we want to support. We want to give to your ministry. So it's not required, but it's generosity giving. Okay. And I generous, I give generously out of my own finances all the time. Every speaker I have on, I give out of my own finances as well to as what you guys give to sow into them. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven. Each of you should give what you now. Now, hold on, let me just preface this. This is Paul teaching how to give in the New Testament. Are you ready here? Okay, because I know we're already making so many people mad. Second Corinthians 9, 7. Each of, you, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, so Paul, what should we give in the New Testament? How, how much money should I be giving? And then Paul responds to the church of Corinth. He's writing to a church. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. I'm not under a compulsion of, I have to give 10%. I'm not under, I'm not reluctant. Like, I don't really know if I should give. Maybe God, yes, God wants me to give. And I'm gonna show you here in a minute. Yes, God wants me to sow. Yes, I wanna help my church. I give, I gave on Sunday to, to my church, okay, that I go to, I gave. I'm gonna sow. Oh, hey guys, we're doing this thing. We're trying to provide meals for the homeless. I'm giving. Hey guys, right now our church is doing a shower, portable showers for the homeless, right? So we're, we're raising money to get these portable showers to go out and guess what? I'm giving, I'm giving. I don't have to pray, I don't have to ask. I'm giving, why? Because I'm generous. I'm generosity giving. I'm not required, I'm not under compulsion. I wanna give. Luke 6, 38, give. This is what Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured onto your, into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So here's what he says, give. That's what you're gonna do, you're gonna give. And then how do I know how, what I'm gonna get back? He goes, here's what you're gonna get back. The same measure, the same amount you've given will be given unto you and God says I'm going to give you even more it's going to be pressed down shaken together and running over it's going to be poured into your lap like God says I'm just going to bring it to you I'm just going to give it to you but don't give a dollar and expect God to bless you with this big business and all this stuff there's a principle of giving Luke 6 30 this this is this is going to hurt some of you right here okay this is going to really hurt some of you religious people some of you that are super radical this is going to really hurt you watch what jesus says in luke 6 30. give to everyone who asks you now it's scary to say this because now all of you are going to start asking for stuff and if anyone takes what belongs to you do not demand it back hold on hold on i can't even read this with a straight face let me read that one more time are you brother Isaiah? are you sure that's in the bible i don't i don't know if this is in the bible hold on, let me read this again let me just make sure luke 6 30. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, what? 
Do not demand it back. So this is wild because I'm out there, I come outside and my car's broken into and my sound, my little sound deck's gone. And I find out it's a family member that stole from me that's broken poor and, and they robbed me. They robbed me. My own family stole my car stereo right there. Well, now it's all technology and Apple Play and all that. But just pretend. And you find out your cousin has your star stereo. You call him up and say, hey, cousin, I know it's been a while. Hey, uncle, I know it's been a while. I know you stole my thing last night. You broke into my car. All good. All good. You go ahead and keep it. I don't even want it back. Guys. This is so mind-blowing. This is the gospel Jesus preached. If somebody slaps you, I know you want to hit him back because you got taught self-defense. Just turn the other cheek and let them slap the other side. Like, this is wild, and I can't Americanize this. If somebody asks you, says, hey, brother, I really need that $100 to get through this week. Hey, I really need. Hey, is there any way I know you have an extra? Can I have that? He doesn't even say, like, if you have extra. I'm like, Jesus, can you at least help me out a bit? He's like, give anyone that asks you, whatever they ask you for, just give it to them. And if they steal it from you and they didn't even ask you for it, they just come and take it and go ahead and just, just don't even demand it back. That's the new Testament y'all. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Speaking of giving. So what do we learn here? We're not required. It's not a must to give. It's a generosity giving. The Bible's commanding us give generously. And if you give a lot, you receive a lot. That's in the New Testament. If you don't like it, oh, wow, it's, I didn't write the book. Um, that's, that's from the Apostle Paul. So take it up with him. Fifth thing that we learned from this story. All right, you guys ready for this? To lie to the fellow believer is also to lie to God. Let me say that again. To lie to the fellow believer is to lie to God. Ananias and Sapphira lied to Peter and the apostles, but Peter says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. My response is like, Peter, no, they didn't. They lied to you. But Peter responds with, when you lie to me, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. Now, have you ever thought about possibly how you treat other Christians is how you treat the Holy Spirit? Is it possible lying to your fellow believers about godly things is the same as lying to God? Well, that's what this is showing us right here, that when you lie to fellow believers, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And is it too far to say if you treat other believers wrong, you're treating the Holy Spirit wrong? Is it wrong to say if you persecute other believers, you're persecuting the Holy Spirit? Well, remember when Saul encountered God and God said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, Saul wasn't persecuting him. He was persecuting Christians. But God said, because you do it to them, you're also doing it to me. So understand that when you do things to other Christians, you're doing it to God. And that's why you need to be careful when you slander other Christians. You need to be careful when you talk bad. I know some of you are up in the comment section on all the YouTubers and talking smack about so-and-so and so-and-so. And you're just gossipers and murmurers and all that. But you got to understand you're slandering the Holy Spirit by slandering these other brothers. That's why you're not going to find me making videos slandering people. You're not going to find me making videos defaming people. You're not going to find me talking bad about other men, other women that are full of the Holy Spirit. Because if I slander them, I'm slandering the Holy Spirit. According to this verse, according to what happened to Saul, if I lie to them, I'm lying to the Holy Spirit. So we need to take serious what God is saying to us here because we are it's possible by lying to fellow believers or lying to the Holy Spirit. You need to be very careful making fun of deliverance, making fun of speaking in tongues, making fun of divine healing. You're asking for the judgment of God. 
and you guys need to pray for all of these YouTubers that only bash people, that only call people out because they're literally asking for the judgment of God upon their lives. You really, really, really need to pray for them because you have to understand the way you treat other believers, it's, it's how you treat the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. Then Ananias, hearing these words, I want you to see what happens here. Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and the young man arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, that's how much I sold it for. Then Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look at the feet of those who have buried your husband. They're at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. Carrying her out, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard those things. Now, thank God that this is not the pattern of how God functions or most of the church would be dead. But I want to show you this in this story. Ananias drops dead. His wife comes in. Peter gives her a chance. Hey, are you sure that's the story? Are you sure you don't want to change your mind? I'm giving you a shot here. I'm giving you a chance here to change your mind. You've lied to the Holy Ghost. She drops dead. This is what you can take away. Sin is no joke. Sin is no game. Lying to the Holy Spirit literally cost them their life. Now I think about, you might be reading this saying, well, why is God so mean or why is God so harsh? But instead of saying, why is God so mean and why is God so harsh? Let us be the question of tonight. Why don't I take sin serious? Why don't I take my lying serious? Why don't I take watching pornography serious? Why don't I take jealousy serious? Why don't I take envy serious? Why is it that I always blame God and I don't realize how serious my sin is in the eyes of God? Now here's what is hard to see about this. This was after the cross. This was after the Jesus was died on the cross, was resurrected after grace. These people died. Lying is a serious offense. The reality is this. Write this down. And this is not likely, but it's biblical and it is a biblical reality. Write this down. Your next sin could be your last sin. Write that down. Your next sin could be your last sin. Ananias and Sapphira didn't know that the next sin they committed, which was lying to the Holy Spirit, was going to be their last sin, and they both fell down dead. It, you might say it's harsh. You might say it's, be, it's unfair, but you have to understand, friend, sin is no game. It's, it's time to no longer play around with sin. It's time to no longer let the snake on our lap and let the devil roam around. Maybe lying isn't more of a big deal than we think. Maybe cheating is more of a big deal than we think. Maybe deceiving people is more of a big deal than we think. Maybe, uh, you know, fornicating is a bigger deal than we think. Maybe what we watch and what we listen to matters more to God than we think. Friend, this is a real reality. Do not play with sin. Sin is a deadly snake that is waiting to strike. And so we have to take these things serious. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. James 1.15, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death, brings forth death. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Proverbs 14.12, there's a way which seems right to men, but the end of that way is death. Friend, it's no game. We need to take it serious. 
This is a very, very serious matter. And if you take away anything tonight, take away that your sin is serious. Now, sin might not cause immediate death, but it can cause spiritual death eternally. The story of Ananias is to the book of Acts what the story of Achan was to the book of Joshua. Remember, they had just come out of uh, bondage and Achan hides something, lies to Joshua saying, I didn't do it, it wasn't me, and ends up him and his whole family being killed. So both of these stories happened in new beginnings. Israel was just coming into the promised land and the New Testament church was just taking, was just in Jerusalem, taking root in Jerusalem. Um, both events happened because of greed and possession. Both events, God swiftly punished those that were involved. And the notable difference is Achan's whole family was killed where Ananias and Sapphira, it was just them individually. Now here's the main theory. Let me give you the main theory of why God killed Ananias and Sapphira. The main theory is this that God was protecting the early growing church from deception creeping in. It was the infancy stage. It was barely growing. It was that small plant and he didn't want deception and hypocrisy to crush the New Testament church. So he killed both of them. But I also want to say, how do we know his ways are not our ways? All these leaders and pastors that die and people that die, how do we know that it's not God killing them? These leaders and pastors that Fall, fall dead or have heart attacks or they die in their sleep or all these things happen, who's to say it's not God killing them? Who's to say God can't be doing this? We need to take this image out of our mind of this nice little cute Jesus that would never harm anybody, never hurt anybody. It's a very serious thing. Acts 5.12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people and they were all with one accord on in Solomon's porch. So what happened next after they died, after this happened, there was great fear in the congregation now all of a sudden the power of god begins to break out and all of a sudden they're meeting having revival meetings healing meetings um they're on solomon's porch or solomon's colonnade it's the east end of the te uh, temple's outer court and they're having revival now revival breaks out there's fear and they're all realizing like we don't play with god god is not a joke lying is not a joke sin is very serious now the early church as you're going to see throughout the book of acts as we continue to teach they were supernaturalists okay supernaturalists they believed in the supernatural the supernatural was natural to them it was normal to them they had been with jesus and they knew of the supernatural works he was constantly doing friend write this down christianity without miracles and the supernatural is not biblical christianity i'm sorry to tell you the blueprint of the early church is supernatural signs and wonders and the power of god without signs and wonders and miracles it's not biblical christianity acts 5 13 through 14 yet none of the rest dare join them but the people esteemed them highly and believers were increasingly added to the lord multitudes both men and women so notice how did the early church grow they preach repentance they perform signs and wonders things like miracles casting out devils prophesying and the result is increasingly added to women and men the church was growing they did not need gimmicks okay they didn't need light machines and programs and fog machines and concerts and productions and plays and carnal sermon series it was the supernatural power of god signs and wonders next set next verse the church was added to why because there was power they were demonstrating the gospel and now what do we do because we don't have the power of god what do we do because the church doesn't have the presence of god we have to make up all these series and productions and shows and this is one thing i can't stand during christmas all of our friends and family come that are not saved you know they're they're priesters they come on christmas and easter and our churches listen to what i'm going to say here have the softest 
messages on Christmas. The softest sermons we preach, we do these little productions like, oh, Jesus was born. And there's no repentance. There's no deliverances. There's no miracles. Like the best thing we can give our family for Christmas is deliverance. The best thing we give our family is healing, is the gospel. So I don't get why. I never understood this. Why churches during Christmas when everyone's there preach these soft messages like, oh, fill out a card and here's a mug. I'm like, dude, preach the gospel to them. Preach the power of God to them. Like, let the power of God be released because they're not even going to come until next year. And I wouldn't come back until next year either if I got this soft little production that you put on. We need the power of God. We have to stop having these lukewarm altar calls during Christmas time. Acts 5, 15 through 16. So that they brought the sick out into the streets and they laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who are tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Again, we see more deliverance. They're bringing the sick and those with unclean spirits, and they're all getting delivered. They're all getting healed. Now, I want to say something that's going to be very, very um, shocking for some of you. Okay, let me warn you. The Bible actually, I know I hate this. I hate to say this. I hated when I found this out. It actually doesn't say Peter's shadow healed people. We always preach it. Even Peter's shadow. We're going to lay people in the street. I've preached that a bunch of times. It's wrong. It's not right to preach it. It's wrong. Okay. Because it doesn't say that Peter's shadow healed people. It says that. Let me reread it for you. They brought the sick out in the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter might fall on some of them. Doesn't say his shadow healed them. Doesn't say they were healed. It just says they brought him there so at least his shadow had fallen them. I think the reality was they esteemed these men because these men were doing signs and wonders and they wanted to bring him as close as they could to these men and they were saying the shadow because we're close to our shadow. But we have a million sermons on the shadow of Peter healing people, the shadow of the Almighty. And I just want to bring biblical clarity. The Bible actually doesn't say his shadow healed people. It just says they were bringing them so that his shadow might fall on them. I think it speaks of being close, but you can go read it. Acts 5, 15 through 16, and you're going to find, it actually doesn't say Peter's shadow healed people. What it actually is showing is they had so much respect and honor for the men of God. There was a desperation that they're like, we just got to get them close to the disciples. And this is far from the dead, dry Christianity of today's culture. Now, do I believe a shadow could heal? Do I believe we can get close? I absolutely believe God can do anything. Handkerchiefs, shadows, I believe God can do all of it. Now, we don't know in Acts 19, handkerchiefs, were being laid on people that were demonized and sick and they were being healed and delivered. So I know that's biblical. I know that definitely happens, but I will say this friend, it's not biblical to say Peter's shadow healed people because it doesn't actually say that in the Bible. Although I know God can 100% do it and I believe God for it, but understand like Jesus, they had a high priority of healing the sick. It wasn't a side teaching they did once a year. Everywhere you see the new Testament disciples go, the sick were healed and demons were cast out and we try to every broadcast for the most part we try to pray for the sick at least on monday nights and pray for those demonized because the disciples were doing it come on let's get to 3000 share this broadcast the disciples were doing it everywhere they went so i want you to understand healing and casting out devils was not an afterthought it wasn't like all right we're gonna have church and do all of our stuff and then maybe we'll try to pray for some people at the end or maybe if it happens it happens like if it's god's will he'll do it no 
They were actively going out, casting out devils and healing the sick and praying for people. And this was one of the ways they validated the gospel. John chapter 10, if you don't believe me, Jesus said, believe the signs and wonders, okay? Miracles also attracted needy people. So if you're going to get into miracles and start laying hands on people, be ready for needy people to come to you. Be ready to put time and effort in. Don't be one of those. It's like, God, I want to see miracles. And then you're lazy and you don't want to deal with people because when you cast out devils, heal the sick, needy people are going to come to you, okay? Um, uh, Acts 5, 17 through 21. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in a common prison. But at night, oh, I love this story. An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. He said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. Okay, here's what's going on. They're preaching in the temple. They're teaching the people. They're doing signs and wonders and miracles. And it's like, I feel like I'm repeating myself. Like I already preached this, but it's just, it's going to be the pattern here in the book of Acts. They preach, miracles happen, religious people mad. That's the pattern of revival. Preaching, Cast out devils, heal the sick, religious people mad. Preaching, it's just, it's never going to change. The book of Acts, the high priest rises up, throws them in prison. In the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord shows up, brings them out of prison and says, hey guys, um, go back and pre preach where you were just preaching at. And so they do. And the religious people are so upset with this. But here's the thing. Nobody can stop a move of God. Nobody can stop the power of the Holy Spirit. Nobody can stop what God is doing I'm telling you, you need to get the resolve in your spirit and tell yourself tonight, nothing can stop what God is doing in my life. Not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend, not a school, not a pastor, not a government, not a jail. What God is doing, you need to get bold about what God is doing. You need to get an attitude about you and say, nothing is going to stop the move of God in my life. Satan, you are powerless to stop the move of God. You are weak to stop the move of God. Nothing can stop. The jail can't stop. The prison can't stop it. A demon can't stop it. Nothing can stop the power of God in my life. Acts 5, 21 through 26. We're almost done here. But the high priest and those, everyone say, don't look at the clock, Isaiah. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent, the, sent to the prison they, they have been brought, okay? So... But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported saying, indeed, we found, listen to what happens. We found the prison shut securely and guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. So it wasn't even like they just got out. It was literally like they teleported out because the guards are in front of the doors still. And they're like, they're in there. No one got out. They're right there in the prison. And they opened the prison doors and there's no one there. Now, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief of priests, all the, all the religious guys I already told you about, I'm tired of naming them, uh, wondered what their outcome would be. So one came and told them saying, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. So he's like, look, we're not going to be forceful because the people love these guys. We're going to be nice about it. We're going to save face. We're going to act like we care and like them. And we're going to peacefully bring them together. Now, I want you to imagine the shock on the high priest's face when they came back and said, hey, the guys that you're looking for, they're not in jail because they said, okay, go get the guys out of jail. We want to question them again. And they said, um, I don't know how to say this, but the guys aren't in jail. They're actually in the temple preaching again. And the, the high priest is like, at this point, losing his mind. And in verse 27 through 28, it says this. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them saying, 
did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. I love this statement. Look at this statement here. You have filled Jerusalem with this doctrine. Like this is our calling to fill the earth with the glory and the power of God. The gospel was unstoppable. Now remember in Acts 4, they had threatened them bodily harm. If you mention Jesus again, this is your last chance. You're done for. But here they are going, here you guys go again. Acts 5, 29 through 32. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom he murdered. He's going to keep reminding them what they did by hanging on a tree. Him, God, has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The 12 who had run from their lives were changed men. Now they're coming with courage, with boldness again, saying, you killed Jesus, but the good news is, He's been raised from the dead and he's now sitting at the right hand of God who's the prince and who is now a prince and a, and savior and he's offering Israel this gift of a changed life and and their sins forgiven. Now watch this. Acts 5:33-35. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people. And he commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while, okay? So they're going crazy. They're literally plotting, how are we going to kill these guys? Like, we're killing these guys, no chance. How are we going to do it? Gamil stands up, says, go put, the, go put the apostles outside. Let me talk to these guys. He's very well respected, okay? He says, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. So in the midst of this situation, this guy gets up and diffuses it. Now, Gamil, who they called Gamil the Elder, some people called him the beauty of the law. He was had a very famous student you might know about called Saul of Tarsus. This was Saul of Tarsus's teacher was Gamil, okay? And that would become the Apostle Paul we all know about. And we know, we don't know, think, we don't, scholars don't believe he was a Christian, but God did use him in this situation to rescue the disciple, the apostles from being killed. So this highly respected leader stands up, who's Saul of Tarsus's teacher, pretty much, and says, guys, be very careful what you do, because here's what he says in verses 36 to 39. For some time, some time ago, the, um, the, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all those that obeyed him scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew many people away from him. He also perished, and all of them dispersed. And now I say to you, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Listen to what he's about to say. And now I say to you, Keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan works, for if this plan is for this for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even find be found to fight against God. Here's what Gamil is saying. Here's a stern warning. If these men are really men of God, you're actually fighting against God Himself. So I would recommend. Now, again, to all the YouTubers, all the people online that bash all these spirit-filled preachers and teachers, I would recommend you leave them alone because you might be fighting against God. Now, if he's not real, if the channels you're trying to call out or the preachers you're calling out, if they're not genuine, they're just going to fizzle out. Nothing will become of their ministry. But if they're genuine, you're actually going to be speaking against God. So be very careful who you speak against because if they if they're of God you're going to be fighting against God Acts 5:40 through 41 and they agreed with Gamil and when they had 
called the apostles and beaten them. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now I want you to see what happened here. Historians say they got 39 lashes with a leather whip. So they beat them, beat them, and threw them out. So now they have bloody backs, they're bruised, they're limping out, and the disciples walk out. And here's their response, okay? They just got beat down, 39 lashes with a leather whip. And here's their response. Are you ready? The Bible says what they did? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. This is how we're called to respond. God, thank you for letting me be persecuted. Thank you, God, for letting them slander me. Thank you, God, that everybody at work makes fun of me. Thank you, God, that my family treats me like an outcast. Why? Because I've been found worthy to suffer for your name's sake. I've been worthy to be shamed for your name's sake. They were excited. They're like, this is awesome. Peter's like, look at my lashes. Isn't this, look at all the blood on my back. Isn't this awesome? Friend, you have to understand. They were excited about this. They, the Bible says this, I quote, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They were jumping for joy, saying, Lord, thank you. This is how we have to respond when we're persecuted. Next time you get persecuted, say, Lord, thank you. I appreciate that I've been found worthy to suffer. Imagine the next time you get mocked at work, you walk out of work going, that was awesome. What an awesome day. Your wife's like, how is work, honey? Oh, honey, I got to tell you, it was amazing. My boss, he made fun of me all day. My coworkers, they gathered around. They laughed at me. They said, I'm this Jesus freak. They said, I'm crazy. And guess what, honey? I was going to get that raise. Remember that? I'm not getting the raise after all. My boss said, because I talk about Jesus too much, I'm not getting a raise. He's cutting back on my hours. Isn't this amazing? Let us rejoice. It was awesome. Imagine your family says, how was the family reunion? Oh, it was amazing. Everybody made fun of me. No one talked to me. I'm the crazy Jesus freak. I love it. Thank you, Lord, that I'm found worthy to, to receive shame for your name. Like, are you guys catching this tonight? They were excited. They're like, yes, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that we're beaten, broken and hurting for being persecuted. Now, some of you, you're like, oh, they said something bad about me on Facebook. Be glad. Be glad. I love when people make things about me. I love when people persecute me for doing right for righteousness sake. I love when people talk bad about me. Be excited about it. Now, the next verse tells us the response to these men, because these men say, do not speak the name of Jesus any longer. Okay. Do not speak the name of Jesus any longer. And here's how, here's how their, their response. Are you ready? I love this. It's literally the next verse. Okay. Acts 542. Ready? And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Here's the response to the first warning. We're going to keep preaching Jesus. We can care less what the religious people say. Here's the response to the second warning. We're going to keep preaching Jesus. We can care what the religious people say. Here's the response. Spoiler alert to the third warning. We're going to keep preaching Jesus. We can care less what the religious people say. Nothing's going to stop me. This is worth risking my life over in front. That's what I want to end on tonight. This gospel. We went long. We're about an hour and a half in. This gospel, that's the end of chapter five, is worth giving everything for. And next week, we're going to see a guy, the first martyr, who gave his life for the gospel, who gave his life in the book of Acts, literally gave his life up for the gospel. Let us pray. Father, we ask you tonight in Jesus' name, Lord, let us be found worthy of persecution, God. I pray over every person. Holy Spirit, release boldness. 
release breakthrough god lord let us not be afraid even in this holiday time god give us the boldness lord when family calls us crazy we are crazy we're crazy in love with you god let us have a boldness let me have a boldness holy spirit do what only you can do release your power over our lives release your anointing over our lives release our, your fire over our lives we pray holy spirit mark us god come on ask him right now mark us tonight with your glory and your power let us be crazy for you i know you guys are in other countries i see someone right there in japan whatever wherever you're at say lord i i want to be found worthy to, to per, be persecuted i know we have followers and friends in india that are sending me videos of their churches getting burned down their church their houses getting burned father thank you rejoice let us rejoice with them maybe in america we're not getting that type of persecuted but lord help us god help us to overcome this this american dead dry religious christianity and Father, we want to be radical for you. We want to see signs and wonders and miracles. We want to see the power of God in demonstration. Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name, fill every person with the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, the same way we just read about in Book of Acts, miracles, 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 deliverances, deliverances. God, do that in your people tonight. The 3,000 watching, I pray every single one of you would be healed tonight in Jesus' mighty name. I pray the power of God would be released over you in Jesus' name. Father, do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Release your power in Jesus' name. Release your anointing in Jesus' name. Father, right now, those that are being persecuted, I pray, God, that you would just, you would just get, give them peace. You would bring them joy. You'd bring them divine protection, God, that you are worthy to be persecuted for, that, God, you are worthy to die for. God, let us die for you. Let us be willing to die for you, Holy Spirit. Father, we pray in your name, bring healing right now. If you're sick in body, I just say be healed in Jesus' name. Lord, bring healing over every person in the chat. Bring deliverance over every person. Every demonic spirit must leave tonight in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, every power that is not of God, every satanic spirit, we command to go in Jesus' name. We say be healed. Be healed. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need a second filling tonight. We all need this, guys. I, I can't get enough of this. Lord, right now we pray a second filling of the Holy Spirit. We pray power of the Holy Spirit right now. Fill us again. Come on, fill us again. Everyone needs it. We all need a second dose. We all need a second filling. Shake our house where we're at, Lord, just like you shook the house there. Lord, shake the house that we're at right now. Shake it up, God, and fill us with your Holy Spirit power. Fill us with your Holy Spirit anointing. Fill us with your Holy Spirit fire. God, do what only you can do tonight. And I pray, God, that this word would not fall on the footpath. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.